Hey, good evening. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood, from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood, from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood, from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. Whatever the virtues and the many fields of knowledge, all are steps on the path of omniscience. May these arise in the clear mirror of intellect, O Manjushri, please accomplish this. Good evening, welcome back. Everybody survived Thanksgiving, I see. A couple of people have grown some wings and feathers, but that's good. That's good. So, my recollection is that we were almost completed, almost completed the commentary on the Dharma Dharma Tavibanga, and we were on page 182. What do other people think? I got a thumbs up from Liz. Can I'll you uh, give the closest um, mm. closest paragraph? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Being out there in the ocean, it's hard to find your place, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> Let's see. Not accepting phenomena and their nature as one or different. So, you may wonder, in this case, should phenomena and their nature be accepted as the same or as something different? And the, the root text says these two are neither, one nor are they distinct because there is a difference as well as no difference in terms of existence and non-existence. It is not suitable if phenomena and the nature of phenomena are accepted to be one. If the nature of phenomena, the perfect nature, is definitely existent, whereas phenomena just as mirages do not really exist at all, how could they be accepted as one and the same thing? Something that exists and something that doesn't can't be the same. Furthermore, the nature of phenomena would be seen through merely seeing the bearers of this nature and any efforts on the path would be pointless. So just by seeing any, all the appearances that we see when we open our eyes or or listen to our ears, or watch our thoughts, we would immediately perceive the true nature of phenomena, and so the path would be unnecessary. And that hasn't, that hasn't happened yet, I think. Uh, therefore, in the light of such differences, they cannot be accepted as one and the same. You may wonder then how it cannot be suitable to accept them as different. This is because the direct appearance of the nature of phenomena is nothing but the fact of mere dualistic cognition, known in other circles as the imaginary and the other dependent nature. 
natures appearing without the characteristics of such cognizance of knowing their nature, and because the nature of phenomena is characterized by nothing but the lack of phenomena. In the inseparability of appearing and being empty, phenomena and their nature are not established as different. Thus, it is not reasonable that they are two. So, if you wonder then, how the heck are they? They are free from being the same or different. As we've seen in many other cases, the Mahayana Sutra Lankara says, Mind is what appears as twofold. It appears as desire and such, and likewise it appears as confidence and such. There is no other phenomena that is affliction and virtue at the same time. Interesting the way they sum up uh, a virtue as confidence. Affliction as desire, that's pretty common, but if virtue as confidence, that's interesting. Maybe they took Shambhala training. Maybe he took Shambhala training and he learned about confidence. Through seeing in this way that phenomena and their nature are taught as three natures and not suitable to be the same or different, the unmistaking characteristics of all noble objects will be realized simultaneously and on the spot and instantaneously. The meaning is also expressed in Vasubandhu's Trimshika. Whatever entity is imagined by whichever imagination is the imaginary nature, <laughs> which is unfindable. Bless you. Thus the imaginary is the appearance of what does absolutely not exist. Whatever exists doesn't appear, and what appears does not exist. The other dependent nature, on the other hand, is conception that arises from conditions, dependent origination, through the potentials of objects, sense, faculty, and consciousness. The other dependent nature arises as if it were cognizance that entails apprehender and apprehended, those two abhorrent things. The perfect nature is its state of always being free from the former. Uh, I guess uh, apprehender and apprehended. Therefore it is said to be neither other nor not other than the other dependent. Just like impermanence and such, it is not that the one is seen if the other one is not seen. I guess talking about uh, the perfect nature um, in terms of impermanence and so forth versus the other dependent nature in terms of impermanence. The perfect nature is said to be the lack of the characteristics of the former two natures, the imaginary and the other dependent. Therefore, cognizance that appears dualistically but does not exist that way is called the other dependent nature. Whenever we perceive duality, it is the other dependent nature. If it is free from these characteristics, it is the perfect nature. By virtue of cognizance being mistaken, there arises the imaginary nature of thinking that it, despite not existing that way, is real. Therefore, cognizance and the other dependent nature are not accepted to be one or different. Thus, the imaginary lacks any reality, and the other dependent exists as mere cognizance. However, through seeing that the latter lacks the duality of apprehended, apprehender and apprehended, the perfect nature will be seen. Pretty much the same thing over and over again. This is taught in detail below, as Nagarjuna says in his Bodhicitta Varna. As for the imaginary, the other dependent and the perfect natures, their nature is the single character of emptiness, their imputations 
onto mind. There's this one place where Nagarjuna, in one of his texts, talks about the three natures, so I like to repeat that. The Compendium of the Mahayana by Asanga discusses this in great detail, uh, but this concludes the brief introduction of the treatise. The brief introduction seems to be longer than the rest of it, but we're not going to make a big deal about that. So the detailed explanation has engaging in phenomena, and nature along the lines of the well-known four yogic practices of the mahayana what could those be he doesn't give us a footprint uh what's it called a footnote <laughs> a footprint the four yogic practices those seem to be the four stages of apashna as outlined in the uh, absolute bodhicitta meditation slogans of atisha regard all dharmas as dreams, examine the nature of unborn insight, and abandon even the antidote, and rest in the nature of Turkey. Turkey. Uh, let's see. Along the lines of these uh, four yogic practices, the presentation of phenomena mainly consists of an extensive discussion of there being no apprehender if there's nothing apprehended. So the apprehended is dealt with in the first stage, the first of the four yogic practices, which says uh, in slogan is regard all dharmas as dreams or understanding the emptiness of the percept is what Jamun Kongshur, how he describes it in his text on chapter on Shamatha Vipassana and the treasury of knowledge that we went through last year. And then the second stage is seeing the emptiness of the mind. So uh, if there's no object, then there's no subject. If there's no apprehended, there's no apprehender. Consequently, one eventually enters the lack of any appearances of either of them. This section concludes as follows. By virtue of realizing that both the imaginary and other dependent natures are not at all established as real, it is said that the dependent origination of the nature of phenomena is seen in dependence on phenomena. It's, it's interesting that you can perceive the true nature of phenomena in dependence on their illusory nature. But that seems to be the way things work. This is also explained in the Madhyanta Vibhanga. If it were not defiled, all beings would be liberated. If it did not become pure, efforts would be fruitless. It is neither defiled nor undefiled, neither pure nor impure. Uh, the it seems to be the mind or Buddha nature. Noble Nagarjuna in his 60 stanzas on emptiness says, independent origination, what could beginning and end be? It's just an endless cycle. Twelve goes back to one and so forth. How could what has arisen earlier be put to an end later? If something genuinely arises, is genuinely produced, not dependently originated, but independently originated, then it really exists and there's no way to put it out. There's no way to, for it to not exist, which is his whole sort of logic that if things really existed then they would have no end to them and they would always be the same as they are has um, anything ever been produced <clears throat> say again has anything ever been produced no no we're still waiting for that to happen 
You could be the first. Faded <laughs> breath. Okay, we'll, we'll hold it. <laughs> we'll keep holding it. Um, devoid of any end in terms of earlier and later, the world appears like an illusion. Like an illusion. In detail, this is discussed in the Samdhinirmochana Sutra, the untying of the knots with the revealing of the intention of the Buddha, and the Yogacara Bhumi, this huge compilation by uh, Sangha that includes the Shravaka Bhumi and the Bodhisattva Bhumi. Engaging now in the nature of phenomena, since first we engaged in phenomena, now we're going to engage in their true nature. The defining characteristics, as mentioned before in the root text, the defining characteristic of the nature of phenomena is suchness, which is without a difference between apprehender and apprehended, or objects of designation and what designates them. This is the perfect perfect rather nature which for which numerous synonyms are given in the sutras and the tantras this is nice all these equivalences glorious naropa says this being this very being empty is awareness mind also bodhicitta is just this the tathagata heart is nothing but this tathagata garba great bliss is precisely this. What is called secret mantra is just this. The reality valid cognition is exactly this. The fourth empowerment is this. Kone joy or co-emergence. Joy is nothing but this. The paramitas are precisely this. Unity. Union is simply this. Great Madhyamaka is solely this. Vairochana himself or itself <laughs> is this. Vajrasattva is simply this. The sixth family is only this. Vajrasattva is said to be the head of the sixth family, meaning the sixth Sambhogakaya Buddha family. The Buddha disposition, the Gotra, is just this. Many enumerations such as these which are stated in the sutras and tantras are for the most part based on this. Padmasambhava has similar quotes where, he's, where he includes Dzogchen. Naropa was not a uh, uh, did not cleave particularly to the Dzogchen tradition, so he didn't mention that. But basically, all these words, all these terms, all these paths, all point to the same thing the true nature of phenomena is suchness. As for the meaning of Noble Nagarjuna's statement that all phenomena lack in nature, the nature of all phenomena is that they neither arise through any essence nor cease through any essence. For this reason, since they are not real as being permanent or extinct, coming or going or one or different, they are free from all reference points. Therefore, they are both referred to as phenomena and the lack of a nature. Those are synonyms, equivalents. The enumerations of this lack of nature are the lack of nature in terms of characteristics, terms of characteristics, the lack of nature in terms of arising, and the ultimate lack of nature, which are taught in relation to the imaginary, which is the lack of uh, nature in terms of characteristics, the other dependent in terms of arising, and the perfect nature in terms of uh, nature in, at all. Respectively, one should understand that all kinds of emptiness are derived, are sorry, are divisions derived from this. The matrix, the gotra of the nature of phenomena. The root text says its matrix are all phenomena and all sutras included in the 12 branches of the Buddha's words. Interesting the way they include 
you know, all phenomena plus the teachings of the Buddha. As for all phenomena, all phenomena are taught above, as taught above, sorry, are the matrix of the nature of phenomena. Because the nature of phenomena is just these phenomena being empty of specific and general characteristics. How many different ways can we explain suchness? The Mayana Samgra says, in the other dependent, the imaginary does not exist. The perfect exists in it, in the other dependent. Therefore, as for these two, in it, observation and non-observation occur together. Wow, what does that mean? 447. I forgot to look up that one. Never mind. Jared, um, can I ask a question? Yeah, yeah. What is the sixth family? And how is Vajrasattva connected to that? Yeah, so Vajrasattva is said to be the the lord of the sixth family when uh, when we go through the five Buddha families. Uh, in some places, they consider Vajrasattva to be the head of the sixth family. That sort of includes all the other families. And um, those families are Sambhogakaya level uh, appearance of the Buddha, the Sambhogakaya level appearances of the Buddha. And um, in, in the Nyingma tradition, they have a way of dividing each of the three kayas uh, into three aspects. There's the Dharmakaya of the Dharmakaya, the Sambhogakaya of the, of the Dharmakaya, and the Nirmanakaya. And so for in their scheme, Vajrasattva is the Dharmakaya of the Sambhogakaya. So it's like he's the, the lord of the families, of the five families that were sometimes called the lord of the sixth family that includes all the other families. It's just a way of like giving Vajrasattva uh, sort of like an exalted level of uh, hierarchy in the system of the five Buddhas as including all of them. Is there a corresponding energy then? Like the other five have energies. Yeah, uh, there's there's basically or like a wisdom. Yeah, well, both. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the energy is basically purification for Vajrasattva always, and I think you know, in terms of the wisdoms, they would be just sort of all all five together. Huh. It's not something that's nearly as well elaborated as the other five, at least not, not that I've ever seen. Once it is liberated from afflicted phenomena, the other dependent has mere cognizance. So the other dependent is is the alia and everything, oh, sorry, the alia vijnana and everything that it includes, meaning the other seven consciousnesses. And uh, it is known as the other dependent. It comes to be without the imaginary once it is liberated from afflicted phenomena. Therefore, once cognizance embraced by purified phenomena changes state, it becomes the pure nature. Consequently, so cognizance becomes purified and becomes uh, Buddhahood. Consequently, non-observation of both the imaginary and the other dependent, as well as observation of the nature of phenomena, 
occur together. Those are simultaneous or synonymous. Non-observation of the imaginary and the other dependent means you're no longer perceiving um, incorrectly or in a diluted manner. And, and therefore you're perceiving in a purified and correct manner, seeing the nature of all phenomena instead of their false appearances, seeing instead their suchness. Therefore, all samsara... Uh, yes, um, sir? So this is a description of change of state. Yes. Because basically we're not mixing our concepts in with our perceptions anymore. That's right. We're, uh, we're cleaving to true reality, the experience, direct experience of suchness. So it sounds like there's a, lot, a whole lot less thinking going on. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Conservation of thinking. Um, let's see. Consequently, blah, blah, blah. Therefore, all samsaric phenomena are the matrix of the nature of phenomena. All samsaric phenomena abide or reside or subside into the matrix of the true nature of phenomena, suchness. And then purified phenomena are the 12 kinds of the Buddha's words. So there is this positive aspect to, to reality, to suchness, which is the Dharma, the, the uh, explanation of the way reality is as contained in uh, the Buddha's teachings, which uh, traditionally is said to manifest in 12 different forms. And they're, they're just like different, like it's like prose and verse and life stories and uh, uh, dialogues and so forth. Which are the pure dharmas of a Buddha, the uncontaminated dharmas. They are the natural outflow of the dharmakaya and thus also the matrix of the nature of phenomena. This explanation that both phenomena and the dharma are the matrix of the nature of phenomena in these ways is given in terms of that which is to be personally experienced through non-conceptual wisdom. There's this uh, uh, frequent re reference to this idea of personally experienced. Sometimes it's also translated or referred to as individually experienced. And uh, I, I think it's it's uh, uh, an odd... Uh, a different way of saying non-conceptually experienced, directly non-conceptually. And um, uh, there, there is a nuance to it that I, I'm not quite sure what it means actually, but then there's the fundamental change of state, which is one of Rob's uh, favorite things. Which state do you want to change from? Texas or Florida? Delusion. Delusion, the state of delusion. There you go. <laughs> On your license plate, what would your license plate say? Uh, nature of phenomena or matrix, matrix of phenomena? Home of the Buddhas. What's mind, mentation, and consciousness? eight, seven, and six have changed state. They are perfect as the nature of the five wisdoms. Dot, 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 dot. 
that which changes state is the Alaya consciousness, that through which it changes state is the Dharmakaya, that is the natural outflow of the stainless Dharmadhatu. So the Dharmadhatu is like the absolute reality and and like what's the difference between Dharmadhatu and suchness? I don't know. It's like the Dharmadhatu is the realm of suchness. And the natural outflow or the manifestation of Dharmadhatu is Dharmakaya. And um, the that through which it changes state is the outflow of the Dharmakaya. Interesting. In that that into which it changes state is the stainless dharmakaya. The way in which it changes state is that the two non-existent phenomena, the imaginary dependent, become pure, and the existent nature of phenomena appears. The perfect nature appears. The two illusory natures disappear, and the stainless dharmakaya appears. The times during which it changes state are the four phases of aspiration, contact, recollection, and instantaneous realization. What are these guys? It's the Trinity. Three, three become one. <laughs> these, these refer to the paths of preparation, seeing, familiarization, and no more learning of Vajra like Samadhi. So aspiration is uh, preparation, contact is seeing, recollection is familiarization, and instantaneous realization is perfect Buddhahood. The nature of the fundamental change of state, the root text says, as for engaging in its nature, and the sense of adventitious stains not appearing, and suchness appearing, suchness is stainless. Adventitious stains are one's own stainless and naturally luminous mind as such, but by virtue of this very mind's being ignorant of itself, cognizance appears in a dualistic way as if it were a separate apprehender and apprehended. So the adventitious stains are one's own stainless and naturally luminous mind as such. They're, they're like not really there. Really the stainless mind is there. But from that, the point of view of the stains, they feel like they're stained. Is that why, like in that prior paragraph that was so odd, where it says that basically the Dharmakaya is both the agent of the change of state and also the result, which is, I mean, that's that's what it seems. Yeah, to it, it did I, seem to say that. It did seem that, yeah. And so I was that trying was to figure odd. that out, and I was wondering if, I mean, I guess the essence of that is that within the Dharmakaya, I guess it's just re-emphasizing the fact that it's there all along. Right. And so it's, it's, um, it's uh, it, from its own point of view, it hasn't changed, but from the point of view of the stained mind, it emerges. And so it's the agent of that process just because it exists. In a, in a, a, as a manner of speaking. Yeah, that wasn't a good way to say it. <laughs> Rob, sorry. In, in our um, um, Yogacara class at Nalanda Bodhi, we get the Nargajuna uh, example of the, the vase with a lamp in it. And the, the suchness or the dharmakaya is the lamp. And uh, the, uh, that's the abiding gotra. And then the, uh, the revealing gotra is when 
the lamp gets smashed and the light comes out. But what you're saying now, it sounds like this, the Dharmakaya is also smashing the sides of the lamp. Yeah, it breaks from the inside out. It, ex- it explodes from the inside out. <laughs> the Dharmakaya in the inside wants to get out. It gets, it gets too big for the vase to contain it, so it explodes. Yeah, so it's it's a, it's so it's the but it is the both the path and the fruition. It is that is what they're saying, yeah. And it, it, if it explodes, good point. Ground path and fruition. Oh. That's why you see at the end right. that it refers to this as being the essence of Vajrayana. But if it explodes from the inside outward, then the light doesn't get damaged. Whereas if the vase gets broken from the outside, then the light will is going to break. Oh. <laughs> How do you break light? <laughs> well, there's a light. Is you said there's a lamp inside. The lamp would break. If it breaks from the outside, then somebody's breaking it, and that somebody doesn't exist. No, that's a problem. That's a problem. I we'll have to come so up with a non-existent breaker. <laughs> no, no effort. It just bursts from within. <laughs> Mirage-like mental conception. So all of your, all of our mental problems are mirage-like. They arise, and these false imaginations obscure luminous suchness. If these obscurations do not appear, suchness will appear. Just as water appears clear and transparent once it's become pure of silt. So basically, just endlessly going around this contradictory uh, sort of situation of there being illusion and a a deluded mind that's not really there that's only existent from its own point of view this is the essence of the change of state the ornament in a sense they're inviting us to 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 accept that the that the reality of our mind and body that, that we can accept that as 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 our limitation that that's it but they're saying we can also identify with something beyond that. It's clearly a, um, a soteriological device, to use a fancy word, right? You know, meant to uh, point out a way of self-liberating, basically. That that basically we think that something is going to liberate us. If I do this or that, or think this way, or you know, fix my eyes this way or to tie up my hair that way, it's going to help. But really, it's just the snake unraveling in, in, uh, by itself. The mind just unravels by itself. And yet that leaves that question that always arises, of, you know, what actually causes, you know, what makes that happen? Or why does it happen why does it not happen at one point and happen at another point, you know? Yeah, and the only answer is that it's the mind prog- is programmed to enlighten itself. And it just goes it goes through its dance of thinking that it's not so enlightened for a long time. Adventitious stains, basically suffering, that you suffer and then there's a point you reach and... Where you, you realize you don't have to suffer anymore. You realize you don't have to suffer. Like, why was I doing all that suffering? I don't know. <laughs> what, what, what happened to me? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but why did I change? Where did the change of state Why happen? did I change? I don't know. 
suffering. It's just like the mist clearing. The clouds yeah, well, it, don't we experience something in a very small way? Like, why was I ever worried about that? Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of notion of like, what was I thinking? Yeah, when illusory obstacles disappear, we're like, where did that go? How did how do you clear away something that doesn't really exist? So it's not philosophical. It's meant to be like practice instructions. You know, when our mind is tied in knots, we look at the knots and we can't find them, ideally. You know, we think the knots are something that happened in the past or the, or the future or, or this or that, but it's really just our desire to be knotted. Okay, have it, have it, right? Yeah, when murky like water becomes clear, its transparency does not arise from elsewhere, but it's just, it's becoming from free from pollution. The same goes for the purity of your mind. It's held that mind, which is always naturally luminous, is only blemished by adventitious flaws. It's stated that there is no other mind apart from the naturally luminous mind of Dharmata. Luminosity, natural emptiness, are not tainted by the nature of conception, since conceptions are nothing but non-existence that appear. I'm going to skip a little bit since it's rather repetitive. Except for on the next page, I skip that one quote, and then the Hevajra Tantra says, Sentient beings are Buddhas indeed. However, they are obscured by adventure sustains. If these are removed, they're Buddhas. Which brings us back to, how do they get removed? <laughs> Where did they come from in the, in the first place? Anyway. They came from ignorance. All we get is the same circular logic over and over and over again. So you're not going to get anywhere by asking... <laughs> This is the nature of the change of state. To understand it in this way is explained as engaging in it. That's a little interesting. It's like, you know, this is not something to just like sort of uh, come to an intellectual understanding of, but to experience by engaging in um, purifying stains that aren't there in our own mind as we were talking about. The object of focus for this process of changing of state in New Torah Tantra, this is taught through the term the basic element. Here it is discussed through the term non-conceptual wisdom. So equivalence, synonyms. And the Prajnaparamita text is treated through the term Prajnaparamita. And the Sangha's compendium of Mahayana says there's no difference between Prajnaparamita and non-conceptual wisdom. Engaging in it through relinquishing characteristics, and this refers to the four characteristics of conceptualizing the four things. Adverse factors, their remedies, suchness, and realization, which are said to correspond to the four characteristics in the Avikalpa Pravesha Dharani Sutra, which we encountered earlier, and Eric found for us very conveniently and shared that stanza for us. Thank you very much. Uh, in more detail, adverse factors are the four uh, mistaken kinds. By the way, it says quoted on page 566.3. That seems to refer to the sutra because this book doesn't have 500 pages in it, right? <laughs> in case you were like me and you checked. Uh, I, more I didn't look because I knew. I just said, what are they, why are they doing that? What a weird... 
again, editors would help with it, should have helped with something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, to quote a page number of a sutra without referring to a, a published version, a printed version of it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Anyway, in more detail, adverse factors are the four mistaken kinds of uh, clinging to impermanent sentient beings as being permanent. That's a big one. To uh, empty conditioned phenomena as being real entities. That's pretty big, popular. To samsaric existence, whose nature is threefold suffering. That's always a favorite as being real. And to identityless phenomena as having an identity. The remedies are their opposites. Suchness means that both the factors to be relinquished and the remedies are mere cognizance. They're just um, non-conceptual wisdom. If one clings to them as having characteristics, one will not be liberated from the imaginary dependent, other dependent natures. Also, the cognizance that is produced through the conceptions of factors to be relinquished and their remedies is without arising and ceasing. Therefore, it is unconditioned by nature. This is the nature of phenomena. That is the perfect nature. Those who see the Buddha heart, boom, 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 boom. As, ex, as consisting of the paramitas of purity, self, bliss, and permanence are the children of the victors, i.e. bodhisattvas. So you catch that? The, uh, the Tathagata Garbha is pure. It's purity. It's a self. It's the pure self. It's the pure blissful self. It's the pure blissful permanent self, the Buddha nature. It's the opposite of the four uh, sort of marks of existence in the in the Hinayana phase of the path, which are that uh, all samsaric phenomena are impure, without a self, suffering, and impermanent. And here we have the opposites. Very radical. Hard to uh, believe it's Buddhist realization. And, and that yes, use of the term paramitas there, is that using it obviously in the sense of the gone beyond quality of paramitas yeah that's obviously. a good that's a good point i i missed that uh as consisting of the paramitas of that seems to be something added by the translator since it's in brackets doesn't it yeah in the in the landa bodhi course they're called paramitas too and that it's um said in in our course that the um the reason uh, there, these the, these four are supposed to be taken not as um, concepts, but as uh, uh, instruction, uh, practice instruction for for vipassana. Interesting. Wow. In other words, in other words, in other words these are to be realized because in the, yeah. in the Mahayana, you don't answer conceptual issues with more concepts. You practice, and and you you reach a non conceptual wisdom response. And the, sure, only, I mean, yeah. way to, the only way to do that is with Vipassana. Sure. I mean, clearly that, that definitely would make sense. I just, it's just kind of interesting that they've taken this term that we're familiar with somewhere else and used it for this. I mean, it's the same idea, I think, of you have to have wisdom naturally to really truly experience the paramitas as such. But it's just interesting that suddenly we've got these four characteristics being treated as the other shore. Right. Well, two of them are, are compassion. That's the last one. That's the biggest one. And selflessness, I think, is the second one. 
So the, 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 that's pretty much, you know, what jumpstarts the whole thing is the, is the, um, the prajna of selfishness, selflessness. But here we're talking about self. Right. Not having a self. Getting that. See, that's, that's halfway to suchness right there. How can you get halfway to something that has no entity to it? But I'm a little bit stuck on the, the difference between self and selfless, but I'm not going to make a big deal because I want to move on. Uh, but thank you all for that. Realization refers to the qualities such as the fourfold mastery, which is over simple things like non-conception, but a realm's wisdom and activity, which refer to the higher boomies and enlightened activity. And one and two, which refers back to the beginning of the paragraph, adverse factors and remedies are relinquished on the paths of accumulation and preparation. And three, suchness. Um, conceptualized suchness is is relinquished on the seven impure boomies and I guess conceptualizing realization is relinquished on the three pure boomies eight, nine, and ten and the very last remainders of the latter of the conceptualized realization through the Vajra-like Samadhi that's the so-called eleventh boomi defining characteristics of non-conceptual wisdom first it is explained through three characteristics. How it abides means that non-conceptual wisdom abides as the nature of phenomena that is non-dual and inexpressible. We thought non-conceptual non wisdom was like something that pertains to a subject, a perceiver, a mind, a person, but it also is equivalent to the nature of phenomena because phenomena are not different from mind. The characteristic of non-appearance refers to what does not appear in non-conceptual wisdom. So non-conceptual non wisdom is pervaded by the non-appearance of the imaginary and the other dependent. That is, all forms of the imaginary are the underdependent natures because these are the obscurations. These are what obscure non-conceptual wisdom. And it never appears as them. They just like never go out together at all or are seen together. The non-appearance of names, characteristics, and imagination is what it means to be without obscuration. No names. The characteristic of appearance is as follows. Since meditative equipoise is free from all clinging to any characteristics of any phenomena, these phenomena appear like the center of space. Not the fringe of space, but the center of space, because the unchanging perfect nature is seen through non bless you, through non conceptual wisdom. It's an interesting presentation of non conceptual wisdom. During subsequent attainment after a meditative equipoise on the, which is by definition samadhi focused on the true nature of phenomena, suchness, uh, subsequent um, attainment which is not really post-meditation, as sometimes it is configured, but it's an attainment that happens subsequent to meditative equipoise, where one leaves meditative equipoise and encounters the appearances of phenomena, and through that encounter realizes um, attainment. 
all, all conditioned phenomena appear as mere appearances, <coughs> just as illusions, mirage, echo, dreams, so forth, because the nature of samsara is seen. In brief, because the imaginary and other dependent natures don't, <coughs> excuse me, don't appear, suchness and the unmistaken perfect nature that engages it do appear. This is called non-conceptual wisdom, which despite no dualistic phenomena appearing for it, obviously, obviously, does not mean not cognizing anything at all. Dot, 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 dot. Well, I, I had a question about, about, about this. that. Yeah. Well, just, you know, when I take a walk outside and I see plants and flowers and trees, I want to name them. You know, that's my habitual pattern. Oh, that's an oak tree. That's a this, that's a that. I like Oh, the, wait, wait. I thought you named them Sam and and Mary and well, you know, you don't, I, I don't those get are too just personal. Lab, those are just their types, the oak tree. I thought you meant you were really naming them. Don't you but, see the same ones all the time? You should give them real names. I try not to get too personal. <laughs> but I'm just wondering, do those kind of thoughts appear for after when someone is has non-conceptual no. wisdom no. they're not interested at all in naming things no there's no labeling going on there's yeah. nothing but even yeah. beyond that isn't it all is it i mean if they talk about no characteristics then there wouldn't even be the you know even without the labeling and name the question mm. is you know does the shape of the oak leaf appear you know um what we think of as an oak leaf that is um or the trunk or whatever you know how far do you go with the notion of no but they don't bump they don't bump into the trees they don't Amazing. bump into things they they manage like those, they manage to navigate their way through through uh whatever well, you want to call it without you know hitting things so even though they don't uh they don't uh recognize characteristics as distinguishing signs or marks of phenomena they still know how to use you know engage with them or not defining characteristics of this non-conceptualism are also explained by way of excluding five aspects complete lack of mental engagement spacing out states that are beyond the levels that entail examining an analysis i.e various um absorption states without mental activity, the peaceful state in which discrimination and feeling have ceased, the cessation trance, the nature of, of matter. <laughs> I thought there was no matter. What are they talking about here? By way of excluding the following. They're talking about excluding. These are things that don't appear. There's then, a good foot. There's a pretty clear footnote about this. That was another helpful. long one. Yeah, yes. it's a 462 pinpointing. I like the pin. I went up to the pinpointing. Yeah. I want to know what <laughs> pinpointing was. So this this means completely letting go of all discursiveness and reference points, i.e., not labeling trees and plants and and animals as you encounter them when you go for walks in your neighborhood, and particularly with regard to true reality, such as trying to pinpoint a certain meditative experience, thinking this is non-conceptuality, this is confusion. Naturally, this means not just the state of trying not to think or imagine anything else, uh, either since 
just since such is just another subtle thought of grasping or grasping the five aspects to be excluded are also found in other texts blah 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 okay uh, nature of matter how does he explain that in the footnote non-conceptual wisdom is not something like matter which sim simply la oh i see matter doesn't have a mind even though matter is mind i don't know they sort of got confused there but so matter matter doesn't think okay four shortcomings if there were no change of state at all what would there there would be four problems without the fundamental change of state of dualistic consciousness into enlightenment there would be four flaws there'd be no basis for afflictions not operating again there'd be no basis or reason for engaging in the path no basis for designated persons who have achieved enlightenment and no basis for designating the differences between the three types of enlightenment, Shravaka, Pratika, Buddha, and Buddhism. Three examples for the change of state. Space is nothing but pure by nature. Therefore, by virtue of certain conditions such as fog or mist in the world, one can observe statements such as, the sky is not pure. And or it is pure when it is clear and free from the conditions. However, it is not suitable to claim such because of a change of the nature of space. Its own nature being pure, empty, no condition, it is indeed not suitable that it either becomes pure by virtue of itself or becomes pure by virtue of something else. We're talking about uh, non-conceptual wisdom is not impure when, it's, when it has defilements in it. Still, mistaken minds that connect mere conventional terms to it cling to space as being pure and impure. But this is nothing but an error. Likewise, though it may appear as if the naturally pure nature of phenomena, the perfect nature, has become free from the fog and mist of conceptions, it is not asserted that this perfect nature has changed. It is absolutely without any arising or ceasing in terms of itself, others both or neither. So that perfect nature, the non-conceptual wisdom doesn't really change. In the same way, the fact of gold remaining in its excellent state is not changed by stains and water and so forth. We've seen these uh, metaphors over and over again. Likewise, all that happens to the unmistaken path and the pure dharmas is that they just become associated with stains and sullying factors through the conceptions of ignorance. But it is not asserted that these uncontaminated dharmas, the path and the pure dharmas entailed by sensation, actually change. Therefore, naturally, luminous stainlessness is conditioned, unconditioned rather, sorry, and changeless. So through the nature of though the nature of phenomena is referred to by this term fundamental change of state is also called permanent. So there really is no change of state. In other words, that's, that whole thing's been a myth. Sorry about that, Rob. There's nothing to be removed from it, and not the slightest to be added. Actual reality is to be seen as it really is. Who sees actual reality is released. Basic element is empty of what is adventitious, which has the characteristic of being separable. It is not empty of the unsurpassable dharmas, which have the characteristic of being separable. It's probably the most famous quote from the Uttara Tantra about Buddha nature. This teaches the defining characteristic of the emptiness, endowed with the supreme of all aspects, free from the, the extremes of superimposition and denial. 
Though this text is not within the sphere of fools like me, I commented on the profound by relying on the gist of the intentions of a Sangha and Nagarjuna through this virtue. May all enter the actuality free from extremes. Now we have some poems. What a nice change of state that is. <laughs> some fun stuff. Let's see if we can make heads or tails of these. The wisdom lamp that illuminates the basic nature. The view of being free from extremes. The meditation that is a continuous flow. The conduct of being without do's and don'ts. <clears throat> and the fruition of being without hope and fear. This is a common scheme. View, meditation, conduct, and fruition. All yogins who realize these to be one embody the three kayas and the five wisdoms. They are Buddhas. So that's the final experience of Buddhahood is experience in view, meditation, conduct, and fruition. That's the same. Henrietta. I was a little thrown off. Oops, sorry, I'm getting uh, thrown off by the the conduct of being without do's and don'ts. That's the way it's phrased. Yeah, the conduct that goes beyond what to accept and what to reject. Beyond, okay. Yeah, yeah, similar to like a, no. f a view without extremes and a meditation that's okay. continuous as opposed to like doing something. These are all sort of fruitional versions of, of view, conduct. meditation, and conduct. Yeah. Okay. So uh, conduct that's beyond do's and don'ts is conduct that's spontaneously beneficial for all beings without like having the idea of don't do this or do this. The three kayas are themselves threefold, similar to what I just talked about earlier. Mind's primordial purity is the dharmakaya. Speech is unrestrained, empty, resounding is the sambhogakaya. So speech when we're not using it is sambhogakaya. Mind when it's pure is dharmakaya. And the body's various ways of conduct are the nimanakaya. What are their divisions? Mind's great luminosity is the dharmakaya. Uh, so the dharmakaya of the dharmakaya is luminosity. It's being without meeting or pardon is the sambhogakaya of the dharmakaya. And unobstructed thought activity is the nirmanakaya of the dharmakaya. These are the three kinds of mind, the dharmakaya. Speech beyond words, thought, and expression is the dharmakaya. So, uh, Dharmakaya of the Sambhogakaya, sound, resounding, yet empty, and free from clinging is the Sambhogakaya. So, sound that's not um, constrained by conceptual frameworks. And then breaths, many ways of coming and going, are the Nirmanakaya. Breath is the essence of speech. These are the three kayas of pure speech, the Sambhogakaya. The body and activity, free equipoise. Pose, poise is the dharmakaya. It's unconstrained ways of conduct or some other kind of various movements or nirmanakaya of the nirmanakaya. These are the three kayas of pure body. Great meditators who cultivate the basic nature point out the three kayas in this way. Interesting. What are the three, uh, sorry, what are the pure realms of the three kayas? The alia free from extremes, the actuality of the middle. It's the pure realm of the Dharmakaya, the Alia. Mind's great unchanging bliss is the pure realm of the Sambhogakaya. You all experience that, right? Mind's unceasing flow of luminosity is the pure realm of the Nirmanakaya. 
You great meditators traveling through mountain retreats, if you are headed for the pure realms, do so for these. Yogans who realize basic nature's reality, the skanda form being pure in its own place, the supreme abode of Akanishta, which is the abode of the Buddhas to be, being spontaneously present and resting in unchanging dharmadatu wisdom are the family of the Sambhogakaya, such as Vairochana, the Buddha of the Buddha family. Of all Buddhas in the three times, if you're looking for a place to practice, go for this. <laughs> Practice in Akanishta, in the Akanishta of your own mind. <clears throat> the skanda of consciousness. So we're going through the five skandhas, being pure in its own place, the pure realm of Avirata, being spontaneously present and resting in mind, being lucid, empty, mirror-like wisdom. So Avirata is what the Vajra family, pure land which is uh, mirror-like wisdom, is the Vajra family, I think, are the family of enlightened minds such as Akshobhya, Buddha Akshobhya. If you're looking for a place to practice, go for that place. It's pretty good. Skanda feeling being pure in its own place, the supreme abode of Shalimat, being spontaneously present. So each of the five Buddhas, Buddhas who are heads of the five families, has their own Buddha fields, by the way, and these are their names. Akanishta, Abhirata, uh, Srimat, and so forth. Sukhavati, we're familiar with. And the fifth one is Karma Prapurana. Resting in the wisdom of inseparable equality of the families of qualities, such as Ratna Sambhava, the wisdom of equality. If you're looking for a place to practice, go there. The skanda of discrimination being pure in its own place, Sukhavati being spontaneously present and resting in blissful empty mind, discriminating wisdom of the Padma family are the entire assembly of the deities of enlightened speech. If you're looking for a place to practice, go for this. I know a lot of, a lot of people look for like, where can I go for a retreat? I'm looking for a place to go for a retreat. So th these are some good places you can find them on uh, Airbnb, I think. The skanda formation being pure in its own place, the pure realm of carb, karma prapurana, purana, purana, being spontaneously present and resting in, in inseparable mind, all accomplishing wisdom are the place to practice enlightened activity. So go for it. <laughs> That's Carl's translation. Go for it. Great meditators heading for, headed for solitary places if you wish for places to practice. Go for these five. Manifest realization is the wisdom of suchness and knowing the mind streams of others is the one of variety. Um, is meaning the wisdom of the variety of phenomena as opposed to the wisdom that knows the nature of phenomena which is their stainless, their uh, suchness rather. So these are the two knowledges of omniscience. Not realizing that these two knowledges, as well as the three kinds and five wisdoms, are your own mind. Wishing to search for them somewhere else is just wishful thinking. So our mind is the source for the two, two types of knowledge of omniscient Buddhahood. Not realizing that the three kinds and the pure realms of the victors are complete already within yourself to wish for them outside is just wishful thinking within the ground uncontrived spontaneously present samatha bhadra which in the nigma tradition is the <coughs> dharmakaya buddha 
the essence of the Buddhas of the three times is perfectly complete. In the state of the Alia, the great beings, samsara and nirvana, are perfectly complete without exception. So here he seems to be talking about Alia, not Ali Vijnana, as he was uh, referring to in shorthand as Alia in the last text, actually the last two texts. But here he seems to be talking about Alia, the ground that's below the Alia Vijnana. And let's see. With an unchanging great bliss, all efforts accomplishing flaws and qualities are perfectly complete. Within the unborn, inconceivable mind, the Dharmakaya, the qualities of all Buddhas of the three times are com perfectly complete, without exception, effortless, spontaneously present and amazing. Make this great perfection a living experience for yourselves. The next poem is Proclaiming Mind's Way of Being Mistaken. I pay homage to all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. This is a proclamation of mind's way of being mistaken. Mind, mentation, and consciousness, seven, 8, 7, and 6, are what engage naturally pure and unconstrained luminosity. Free from reference points through all kinds of clinging to reference points, you, mind, who conceives them as 1, 2, 3, or 6, do not rest in anything but intrinsic lucidity. Don't get lost in these different categorizations or uh, ideas of being this way or this or another way. Just rest in intrinsic lucidity. Completely ensnaring yourself by saying me. Conceiving a form, sound, smells, taste, tangible objects. Objects and subjects are imagined as being two. Through adopting and rejecting them, you deceive yourself. Your ways are as fickle as those of a dancer being an object of ridicule in all places in the three realms. I will discuss the ways you act a bit. So listen. <laughs> just a bit, just one stanza. Through name and form you produce characteristics which make attachment, aversion, and dullness flourish greatly in samsara. Thus you were born in the six sectors, I guess the six realms of samsara and dance through samsara, serving as a ludicrous performance for the wise. That's how we seem to the Buddhas, just like ludicrous dancing. Stanzas that express realization. I pay homage to noble Manjushri Kumarabhuta. Kumarabhuta is the ever youthful Manjushri, which is a, a way of pointing out the nature of wisdom as being always fresh and new, sort of um, new in the sense of um, not experiencing things through the, the lens of preconceptions of thinking we know what we're seeing, we're experiencing. I pay homage to the Tathagata who taught dependent origination to be free from the extremes of existence, non-existence, both and neither. Once the vivid arising of all phenomena is completely pure, cessation is not observable, just as in an entity that never arose. Once mind and mental factors have become unobservable, how could it be tenable that the natures of form and so on appear? So he's talking about what a Buddha experiences, I guess. Not appearing and unseen, where do phenomena arise? If the primordially pure nature of phenomena is conceived as arising and ceasing, it's like tying a knot in space. 
it's not the true primordial with pure nature of phenomena. Childish beings are mistaken about the actuality that is like this, just as being happy and suffering while dreaming, thus clinging to self and mind. The world is imagined by your own imagination. Imagination is not real as imagination. Imagination is not real as imagination. Imagination is not what is past, nor is it what is in the future, and in which middle could there be imagination? In the middle of space, in the middle of time, in nowness, what could be the place of an imagination arising outside of the three times? If you can't find imagination within the three times or without outside of them, then the imagination is not real. <clears throat> the victorious Buddha said temporarily from name and form the ayatanas arise and from these contact, craving, grasping and becoming. You will notice that these are some of the nadanas, some of the more popular nadanas of the 12 links of interdependent origination. Ultimately they are pure. Ultimately they are pure. Ultimately craving is pure. Ultimately grasping is pure. If you wonder why, this is because the omniscient one did not see arising and ceasing. These are fictions of our illusory uh, ignorance. Once there is no stirring of false imaginations, formations, what becomes of consciousness? This omnipresent formation, from where does it arise? What is its creator? This is very profound indeed. The omnipresent formation... This alia consciousness, including its appropriating part, just as water, gold, and space is primordially pure and luminous. Since it's without coming and going, being different or one, it is the actuality of dependent origination. Through not realizing precisely this, suffering and its origin are produced. In order to realize cessation and the path, going through the Four Noble Truths, correctly rely on the two realities of the ultimate and the relative, starting with the application of mindfulness all the way up to Buddhahood. So he's referring to this list, famous list of uh, qualities of Dharma that are known as the 37 uh, limbs of enlightenment, bodhipakshas. This is very profound indeed. It begins with mindfulness and uh, leads to Buddhahood. Since sentient beings are unobservable, how could compassion observe them? That's an interesting statement. It's like we think of compassion as being directed towards suffering beings, but true compassion does not even observe sentient beings. Uh, let's see. Therefore, since this compassion is boundless, the children of the victors give rise to bodhicitta true compassion since the body is devoid of the body foam is like f form is like foam spraying up the body has no real essence to it it's like just foam that has no essence because feelings are void understand them to be like bubbles these are these famous analogies that the Buddha uses in some of the early sutras about uh, the, the skandhas, the five skandhas, since they're like a mirage, a banana tree, and an illusion. So discrimination is like a mirage. Uh, formations are like a banana tree that are hollow in the middle. 
banana trees, you know, they're like plantain or bamboo that, that have this big uh, trunk, but they're hollow in the middle. And then consciousness is like an illusion. They're all primordially pure, therefore minded phenomena will be realized. By virtue of this, the dharmas of the four correct efforts are manifested. So he's been going through the four foundations of mindfulness, which are uh, mindfulness of body, which is devoid of the body, and uh, form is part of the body. And then he went through feelings, and then he went through mind in terms of discrimination, formation, consciousness, and then therefore minded phenomena will be realized. So he went through the four mindfulnesses just in some way, and then he goes through the four, what are called the four correct efforts, which are the next category in this list of 37 bodhipakshas or wings of enlightenment. Um, by virtue of this, the dharmas of the four correct efforts are manifested, and that those efforts are to give rise to virtues that are not arisen, to increase virtues that are arisen, to not give rise to defilements that are not arisen, and to reduce defilements that are have been arisen. Based on them, the very profound four limbs and miraculous powers are attained. So that's the third set of four that are correlated with the path of accumulation. And the four limbs, they're usually called the miraculous feet or the miraculous limbs or the the fleet-footed four hubs of the flying horse or something. I don't know, they have this odd name. But they are um, aspiration and um, effort and uh, mindfulness and wisdom or um, understanding. And then he goes through the uh, five characteristics that uh, are affiliated with the path of preparation, the second path. Confidence, mindfulness, vigor, samadhi, and prajna are the five faculties, which are the support for turning into the five powers. So the five powers are those five faculties uh, supercharged on steroids through realizing that the apprehended is void by by realizing the object of our experiences without entity. They are transformed into the five powers. Where could the apprehender abide? Uh, we're looking for the, the apprehender is hiding somewhere. This is just like seeing the horns of a rabbit. There is no apprehender if there's no apprehended. Nevertheless, in a loose manner, they are to abide in sentient beings. The horns of a rabbit are to abide in sentient beings. Through the seven branches of enlightenment, which are affiliated with the path of steen, um, and all phenomena are to be relinquished through seeing, being viewed as a void when is liberated. Is there something wrong there? Through the seven branches of enlightenment, and all phenomena to be relinquished through seeing, being utterly being viewed as utterly void. I see one is liberated. Therefore, one should train in this through the correct view. Through realizing this view, the freedom from extremes, excellent right thought. So the next uh, list in the scheme of the 37 is the Eightfold Noble Path, or the Noble Eightfold Path. So we have right thought, speech, livelihood, action, effort, mindfulness, and samadhi. And these come about. 
What make you attain these supreme aspects of the path of the noble ones are the three doors of liberation, emptiness, signlessness, and wishlessness, the three ways that we enter into the profound dharma of realization, which is understanding emptiness by understanding that all phenomena are without signs or characteristics, and by understanding that the hope and fear of, of, for nirvana and samsara are themselves the cause for suffering. So these are the doors to samadhi. These lead to true samadhi. The, the paramitas of generosity, ethics, patience, vigor, and dhyana, these five, through practicing by abiding in this actuality, will receive the name paramita, transcendent, or transcending, or transcendence. Um, by, through practicing by abiding in this re actuality. Altogether, this is Prajnaparamita on the next page, being non-referential and skilled in means, being infinite, just as space. This is the supreme, powerful armor. Armor. So he's going through the, now the ten, uh, the, the last four of the ten Paramitas. The seventh Paramita is skillful means. The eighth Paramita is power or strength. The ninth is um, aspiration. Just like the sky, aspiration prayers become limitless based on that wisdom, the tenth paramita, or yeshej, jnana, is boundless too. And from this arise all Buddha dharmas, such as samadhis, dharanis, fearlessnesses, perfectly discriminating awarenesses, and the 18 unique qualities of a Buddha. This is the Mahayana, the relinquishment of samsaric existence and peace. Samsaric existence and peace is nirvana. It is not taught in order to be afraid of it. Whoever does not engage in it, through what would their practice become? How else, you know, can we achieve these uh, or achieve? achieve paramita, transcendence. These words that manifested due confidence in the sons of the victors, Manjagosha, Avalokita, and Ajita, these being alternate names for the three main bodhisattvas, and the head of the three families of bodhisattvas of Manjushri, Avalokiteshvara, and Vajrapani, were written by the one called Rongjung Dorje in the place named Ladeng, it may well be that this contains mistakes. May they not turn into flaws that obscure, but if there is a little bit of virtue in it, may it become the basis for the liberation of all beings. And then finally we have a song on the Alia, and it's sung to the tune of um, how many times does a man walk down, that Bob Dylan song, I think it is, or is that Don? Yeah, Bob Dylan, how many times? <laughs> Does anybody have a good voice, want to sing this? No? Namo Guru, I supplicate the Supreme Guru who shows me that my mind is Dharmakaya. It's always helpful to have somebody to show you that your mind is Dharmakaya. Please take a seat here and listen to these words. Realize their significance and make them your living experience. The Ali is the basis of all samsara and nirvana. When not realized, it is samsara. And when realized, it is the Tathagata mind. This describes the essence of the, of the base, the ground, Alia. 
For example, in a mirror, pure of tarnished reflections may appear. Likewise, in the open expanse of your own stainless mind, various consciousnesses arise and perish. Since this clinging to the duality of subject and object rises and appears within this open expanse all by itself, the single essence of samsara and nirvana being non-dual, not realized is delusion, and if realized is liberation. Though the thinker and what it thinks of are not two, that's interesting. Taking them to be two is the ground of samsara. Once you see the non-dual essence, the heart of the victors is revealed. This song on determining the alia arose in a solitary place through dispelling all that obscures the alia. May you realize your own stainless mind. This was sung in the lower valley of Tsurpu which is the seat of the Karmapas, Dolongyel, during the waxing ninth, ninth moon in the year of the sheep by the Dharma Lord Rangjung Dorje to the great meditator master Narma and his servant. And then we have the uh, Tathagatahar text. And we were going to look at the uh, outline and uh, Henrietta provided us a, a much more palatable version of that. Thank you very much. Um, so why don't we just take a glance at that, if I can find it. I had a question about these, this outline. Is it, uh -huh. what is it meant to, how is it meant to be used? I mean, how do you think he meant it to be used? In other words, as a help, as an aid for people to understand what he's talking about. So, but it's not integrated into the text itself. You know what I'm saying? It's it's separate. I didn't quite understand why it was a separate entity. And, and this, there are no... Is this just the way they did things? It is. It, it's a common thing for, for authors like him to do is they write these these texts that are free form and have no structure to them. And then they analyze the structure in this very uh, pedantic and arcane way of these outlines. And their version of outlines, as you see on page 367, is... Um, not really the way we would do outlines in the West, which is what Henrietta did. And uh, um, sometimes the, the, the outlines seem like totally different from the texts. But, uh, and like, and in that way, their teachings on their own because they present like a, a logical structure or an understanding of a topic that was not really uh, made clear through the text. And so they sort of go hand in hand, where you uh, you look at the outline and you understand what <clears throat> what we're going to be talking about, so to speak, in the, in the text. And then you dive into the text and you have an idea of uh, what the flowery language or the convoluted language might be referring to. And in this and, case, the outline appears after the... Text. Yeah, yeah. So then you have uh, commentaries such as the ones by John Bukhartrol in this book, and also the one, the ones by uh, Rongjin Dorje himself. The first two texts we read on the the auto commentary on the profound inner topics, and then the uh, 
commentary, the Dharma, Dharma, Tava, Bhanga, those have <coughs> headings that d- divide, identify sections. And in those cases, it's very easy to create an outline. You just pick up those headers and organize them in a structural, hierarchical way, and you understand the, the hierarchy, the, uh, the in, import of a text. Um, so in this case, we could have taken the, like the next step in, in the exercise you did would be to take the text and insert the uh, the outline into it and see if you can figure out where the, the breaks are, well, know, I, where it would go. I went and put page numbers on the outline, but since I have the digital version, I wasn't sure oh, it right. corresponded <laughs> to the print version. Yeah, good point. So let's take a quick uh, look at Henrietta's outline, the treatise, and pointing out the Tathagata heart, which in many ways, by the way, is similar to the text on the, the Tathagata heart by Mipom that we went through in a recent course. So uh, first we have this introductory stuff, the uh, explanation of the title and paying homage, and then we have some nice quotes. You've got to start with some pithy quotes that that uh, um, identify or explain the topic or open the topic. And then we have a detailed explanation of the topic. And in this case, it's the explanation of the meanings of the quotes that he gave. Uh, Sorry, the one from the Abhidharma Sutra in particular. And then we have an analysis of, of, uh, of the defilements that seem to cover over the Buddha nature, the false and correct imagination. The correct imagination being the the foundation for the path of uh, adopting, uh, sorry, the meaning of remedial thoughts. And then we have the, the direct explanation of the Buddha heart itself. What is its essence and then what is its qualities? And there's the usual list of the of the three kayas. The Dharmakaya consisting of ten powers, four fearlessnesses, and eighteen unique qualities together, thirty-two aspects of the Dharmakaya, and how it's to be realized, and then the qualities of the Rupakayas, the two Rupakayas, the Sambhogakaya and Nirmanakaya, and then the uh, explanation of the Buddha heart by uh, using uh, similes or examples and their meanings. And then a little interchange through imaginary um, uh, questioners who raise objections. And uh, so uh, ideally he actually uh, uh, addresses rather the naughty subjects of like, how is it that it's it's, uh, impure and what what makes it impure and what makes it become pure and so forth. Uh, but if he focuses, uh, so maybe that's in this, the first couple of categories of the answers to objections. And then he goes through explaining the, f- the five wisdoms basically all accomplishing. And, uh, and then wisdom of equality. Uh, let's see, so those two in particular he goes through. Uh, then he talks about the three kayas. And then he'll, dispelling uncertainty is uh, sort of presenting his own view, once again, summing up, and then giving a bunch of quotes to reinforce his presentation of the meaning of the Buddha nature, 
and then the usual uh, conclusion. The actual manner of obtaining. That's a little obscure, huh? <laughs> and then an aspiration prayer anyway. So we have this text uh, on page 353. And uh, we're going to go through commentary by John Mucontro. And so... Sometimes it's nice to have everybody read a stanza and just like go around. Our folks game for that. We'll just like, I'll quickly call on people. And uh, I'll just do it based on like where you appear on my screen, if that's okay. I pay homage to all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Henrietta. You have to unmute yourselves each each time uh, as we go from person to person. Ideally, you mute yourself afterwards. It is said through beginningless. Though, though beginningless. Oh, though beginningless, it entails an end. What is naturally pure and consists of permanent dharmas is not seen since it is obscured by a beginningless cocoon just as in the example of a golden statue being obscured. Thank you, Mary Beth. The Datu of time without beginning is the matrix of all phenomena. Because it exists, all beings, and also nirvana, are obtained. Morgan. Sorry, I'm lost. I'm in the electronic version. Which we're, we're uh, in the commentary version. Uh, we're in the the commentary version. It's Appendix Two. Sorry. Appendix Two. Appendix Two. Okay. The treatise pointing out that passage in the Tantra says sentient beings are Buddhas indeed. However, they are obscured by adventitious stages stains. If these are removed, they are Buddhas. Henrietta and then Kevin. Oh, sorry. Uh, I went wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Gail, Gail, and then Kevin. Sorry about that. Here, beginninglessness means that there is absolutely nothing before that. The time is this very moment. How could it come via somewhere else? The basic element is without creator. But since it bears its own characteristic, it is called that way. Kevin and then Rob. The dharmas are explained as appearing as both samsara and nirvana, which is called the ground of latent tendencies of ignorance. The movement of the formations of correct and false imagination in the producing cause is the producing cause. This causal condition is explained as the alia. Robin and Cynthia. The matrix is the heart of the victors. False imagination rests on the purity of mind. This purity exists in that way. Though it exists through ignorant imagination, it is not seen, and therefore is samsara. When that is eliminated, it is nirvana, which is conventionally called 
end. Cynthia and then Christopher. Beginning and end depend on nothing but imagination. Through wind-like formation, karma and afflictions are created. Through these skandhas, datus, and ayatanas, all dualistically appearing phenomena are displayed. Chris and then Liz. The one who adopts and rejects these is mistakenness. Through rejecting minds, own appearance, where should they cease? Through adopting minds, own appearances, what should come about? Is clinging to duality not delusive? Sounds like it. Liz and then uh, Brent. Understanding this is indeed said to be the remedy. But the thought of non-duality is not real either. For the lack of thought just turns into a thought. You thought about emptiness, dissecting form and so on into parts. Are you not mistaken yourself? Nevertheless, this was taught in order to stop the clinging to reality. Brandon and Emily. All is neither real nor delusive, held to be like a reflection of the moon and water by the learned. Just this ordinary mind is called Dharmadhatu and heart of the victors. It is neither to be improved by the noble ones nor made worse by sentient being. You have two more lines, I think. It may no doubt be expressed through many conventional terms, but its actual reality is not understood through expressions. Emily and then Barbara, if you're available. As for the unimpeded play of this, the 64 qualities are a coarse classification. Each one is said to consist of tens of millions. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, let's see, Barbara. Oh, hi. Hi. And then what Eric. Is, what is the case and what is not the case? Karma and maturation, knowing constitutions, faculties, and inclinations, the paths that lead everywhere. The Dhyanis, the divine eye, recollecting places of rebirth and peace. These are the 10 powers. Cool. Eric and then Neil, if you guys are available. The four fearlessnesses based on these are enlightened realization of all phenomena, teaching the obstacles, teaching the path and cessation, all being indisputable. Neil and then Henrietta. Due to that cause, the 18 unique qualities are unmistakenness, lack of chatter, undeclining awareness, constant meditative equipoise, lacking the plethora of discriminating emotions, lacking unexamining indifference, no decline in striving, vigor, recollection, samadhi, prajna, and the vision of the wisdom of liberation. Activities being preceded by wit. And being unobscured with regard to time, being endowed with these 32 is a Dharma kind. Henrietta and Mary Beth. At present, we oppose them. Since we lack certainty about what is, just as it is, we produce the imaginary, construing what is non-existent as existent. The conceptuality produced by this is the other dependent. Through not knowing the perfect, we are agitated by our own doing. Alas, in those who realize these qualities of the Dharmakaya, 
to be real, to be what is real. This is the knowledge of reality. Alas, sounds, <laughs> sounds sad. <laughs> even their present little, even their present little power is reality. Casting away this knowledge, we fabricate what is unreal and are carried away by the agitation of pursuing it. Mary Beth and Morgan. Understand now what is just as it is, and you attain power in it. In this, there is nothing to be removed and not the slightest to be added. Actual reality is to be seen as it really is. Whoever sees actual reality is released. The basic element is empty of what is adventitious, which has the characteristic of being separable. But it is not empty of the unsurpassable dharmas, which have the characteristic of being inseparable. Morgan and Gail. In this, the nature of the two rupakayas is the 32 major and minor marks. The attained qualities are your own body. The body is not created by self, cha, ishvara, brahma, real external particles, or hidden objects. Through the refinement of the impure transmutations of apprehender and apprehended of the five gates, at that point, the conventional term attainment is applied. Gail, then Kevin. Therefore, nadis, bayus, and talakas, when pure, are the pure rupakayas. Unpurified, they are the impure rupakayas. Kevin, then more uh, wrong. For example, in the encrusted blue barrel, its qualities do not shine forth. Through cleansing it with a woven cloth and an alkaline solution, cleansing it with acid and a towel and cleansing it with pure water and cotton from kasi, it becomes pure. The gem that is the source fulfilling all needs and desires. Rob and Cynthia. Likewise, in order to cleanse the blue barrel of mind from the three incrustations, afflictive and cognitive obscurations, and those of meditative, meditative absorption. This purified on the paths of accumulation and preparation, the seven impure boomies and the three pure boomies. Cynthia and then Chris. Through false imagination meeting pure imagination, there is freedom from imagination, just like two wooden sticks are burned. This is the freedom from the fourfold clinging to characteristics, the conceptions about what is to be relinquished, remedies, suchness, and fruition. Kristen Liz. At that point, in those who have the kaya of space, the flowers of the major marks will blossom, impure, impure, and pure, and utterly pure in due order are expressed as the three phases of sentient beings, bodhisattvas, and tathagatas. But Buddhahood is nothing newly arisen, being the same before as after. It is the changeless Buddha heart. It is the freedom from stains that is expressed as change. 
Liz and Brent. Those who engage in poor views think that the Buddha, Buddha qualities are without cause or, or not in ourselves, but produced through external causes and conditions. How are these different from non-Buddhist Buddhist views on, imp, on permanence and extinction? Brent and Emily. <clears throat> the appearing of momentarily arising and ceasing formations is comparable to impure formations. If it were not like this, the continuum of the enlightened activity of the Rupakayas would be interrupted. However, this is not expressed by the name formations, but by discriminating wisdom. Emily, then Kevin. Oh, Emily, then Barbara, sorry. What has the nature of the great elements and so on and is associated with apprehension displays its powerful essence. As for both mistakenness and unmistakenness, there is no difference as far as appearance goes. The difference is whether there is clinging to duality or not. If it were not like this, how could the enlightened activity of the victors engage anything? Giving the examples of a wish-fulfilling jewel and such explains the display of thought-free power. But not that this is solely an appearance in the mind streams of others. If it were, wisdom would become the mind streams of others. But if that is accepted, wisdom would be mistakenness. Eric, then, Neil. Um, if it is asserted that wisdom grasps at its own appearances, then also a mirror would possess conceptions of grasping at what appears in it. Neil and Henrietta. The variety of the mistakenness of sentient beings appears as the object of wisdom, but wisdom is not tainted by mistakenness. For example, in space, the arising and ceasing of the great elements appears, but space is not tainted and is without arising and ceasing. Henrietta and Mary Beth. Likewise, the wisdom of the victors engages sentient beings, but is untainted. This is not expressed by the name mistakenness. It is called all-encompassing accomplishing wisdom. Mary Beth and Morgan. Mentation, resting pure of the three obscurations, is a quality, which is peace. Because it is endowed with great love and compassion, the Sambhogakaya and so forth appear for those to be guided. This is stated in order to refute some people's claim of becoming like arhats of the Hinayana once Buddhahood is attained. Morgan and Gail. Wisdom is permanent in three ways. Being permanent by nature is the Dharmakaya. Being permanent in terms of continuity is the Sambhogakaya. And being so in terms of uninterrupted series is the Nirmanakaya. Gail and Ram. Related to these, these are the three impermanent phenomena. Mentally fabricated emptiness is not permanent. The moving conceptual mind is not permanent. And the conditioned six collections are not permanent. However, in these, there is threefold permanence. The three impermanent phenomena are the stains, while threefold permanence is wisdom as such. Rob and Cynthia. It is not comparable to the self of the Tertitikas, since that is imputed by mind, while the Buddha heart is not. It is not comparable to the peace of the Saravakas and the Pratkaya Buddhas, 
for it displays all the qualities of the Rupakayas. These are not comparable to the bodies of sentient beings, since they are not produced by contaminated conditions. Cynthia then, Chris. Buddhas will not regress, since what is has become manifest just as it is. The stains never arise again, since there is freedom from any imagination of difference. Therefore, this mind as such, Buddhahood, exists right now, but we don't know it. At the time of realization, just as with the subsiding of heat in iron and blurred vision in the eyes, the mind and wisdom of a Buddha are not said to be existent or non-existent. Kristen, Liz. Since there is no arising ultimately, in terms of true reality, there is no liberation either. Buddhas are just as space, and sentient beings have the same characteristic. Since the here and the hereafter are unarisen, there is no natural nirvana either. Therefore, conditioned formations are empty. The sphere of omniscient wisdom. Liz and Brent. Since it is subtle, it is not an object of study. Since it is the ultimate, it is not one of reflection. Since it is the profound nature of phenomena, it is not one of mundane meditations and so forth. Brent and Emily. It is the sphere of personally experienced wisdom. Confidence in the self-arisen gives rise to the ultimate. Alas, since they do not realize this way of being, childish beings roam the ocean of samsara. Emily, then Kevin. Through the power of the great sage Manjushri Gosha, Maitreya, and Avalokiteshvara, this was written by Rangjung Dorje. Kevin, then Barb. Uh, Kevin. May all beings know this Buddha heart perfectly and without error. This completes the determination of the Buddha heart, the essence of the Vajrayana. Shubham, auspiciousness. Cool. So we see some recurring themes, eh? So next week we dive into the commentary on this text by Jonglin Kongshul Lodro Taie. And we conclude. A any comments, questions, suggestions, announcements? Yeah, the text is much better than the commentary, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you, like, you like the poem, the poetry version. Oh, okay. yeah. The commentary. Have you looked at this commentary? I have. I have. Jonglin Kongshul's. And it's just that, you know, Broomholtz just does his usual circular stuff. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are know. so circular. Jeez. <laughs> Anything else? Well, I, I think it does feel a little bit like a tautology. Isn't that called tautology? Yeah. Oops. So... Yeah, I, I, or, I mean, or is that just it's the, the nature of things? Yeah, the nature of things, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Let's see. Our, uh, closing chance. By this merit, may all obtain omniscience, may defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may I free all beings. By the confidence of the golden sun of the great east, may the lotus garden of the Rigdon's wisdom bloom, may the dark ignorance of sentient beings be dispelled, may all beings enjoy profound, brilliant glory. Thank you. Thank you. Great to see you. And oh, so next week I'm away. I'm going on vacation. Jane and I are going away. So I will not see you next Tuesday, but I'll see you the following Tuesday, which is 13th. No, 14th. Tuesday the 14th. So have have a nice couple of weeks. Maybe I'll send some alternative reading. You never know. Bye. Have a nice vacation. Thanks very much. Yeah. Good vacation. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Take care.